We do thank and we do honor those who have served, those who have sent children, spouses, and friends in our service, and we are grateful and we honor you today. Um, it's interesting to me, one of the details, like why, why the 11th hour? I mean, they chose the 11th hour on the 11th day on the 11th month, and I was trying to figure out the reasons, and I was like, were they just trying to be like, we won, 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 and you didn't? Um, the 11th hour is actually a term, and maybe it, you've heard someone say, you know, you got it done at the 11th hour, and it's like kind of like sliding in right under the deadline. The, the term, the 11th hour, at least, it actually comes from a parable in Scripture from Jesus' teaching. And it's interesting, I thought it would be an interesting point to kind of start today's message at, though it's not our main um, passage of the day. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is teaching, and he tells this parable, and he compares the kingdom of God to a vineyard, and that the vineyard's owner went out and he looked for workers. And in the morning, he went and he found people in the marketplace and he said, what are you doing? Come and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you what is fair. And the people were like, okay, yeah, work, great. Getting paid what's fair, that, that's awesome. I'll go work in the vineyard. And they went. And then the owner went out again and again throughout the day. And he found people as the day went on, even up to the 11th hour, one hour before quitting time for the day, 11 hours since the sun goes up. And so in the 11th hour, he went and he brought people in and just said, wherever you are, it's not too late in the day, come and work in my vineyard. And that seems all good and fine until it came time for people to get paid because though the payment was fair, it was the standard day's wage, the people who started working earliest in the morning saw the people who worked and just started working at the 11th hour, they all got paid the same thing. And though it was the fair payment, they objected because those people only worked one hour and they're getting the same thing that I get. And the owner said, why are you concerned about my generosity? I gave you what is fair. And if I choose to be generous with them, what does that matter to you? And Jesus was teaching a couple principles through this parable. One is that the reward is the same, that any time that you turn to him, the reward of eternal life, God gives it the same to each person. But one of the other things that the parable teaches, and especially relating to the series that we're on regarding habits, is it's never too late to begin to work in the kingdom. It's never too late to begin to change. It's never too late to get things right with God. Go ahead and start. The reward will be there. And there is a sense and a feeling amongst a lot of people of, I should have got things right with God back in my 20s. I should have got baptized back then. I should have figured things out. But here I am in my 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and I still haven't done it yet. And so it's just too late for me now. And I want you to know that Scripture teaches clearly, and God has shown time and time again, He creates a way back home for you. And just side note, if you can't get your heart worshiping God during the worship here, I don't know if I can help you. That homecoming song, like I was, I stay over there because you don't want to see me dancing, all right? Like, it's so good. He calls us back home. He invites us back in no matter what's been in the past. And when it comes to the habits that you have or the addictions that you've been trapped in or the change that you've been hoping to make but you haven't had the strength to make, I want to start from the point of clarity that there is still time for you. There is still opportunity for you to make a change in your life. 
And I know that there's lots of different hopes that we have. It's like, I hope that I'm gonna get out of debt and I hope that I'll have to just stop buying things that I can't afford on my credit card. And I hope I'm not doing anything about changing. I'm just hoping. I know there's hopes like that. I know there's hopes like I want to get in better shape. I want to get a certain amount of sizes, a certain amount of pounds down, but I'm also not doing anything in my habits to change the direction of my life. I know that there's hopes that we have that we're not practically doing anything to change. And this series is really designed to help give you some practical things to honor God in your physical and in your spiritual, to challenge you to make some changes to the way that you live. And if there's some additional, if you're interested in additional reading to your normal scripture, which you should be reading scripture on a daily basis, um, The Power to Change by Craig Grishel is a great read. And, and a lot of the content that we're going through today comes from here. I encourage you to pick it up and read it if you're interested in reading some more. Um, but this is our starting point. Hope alone won't change your life. And you can put this on the screen. Hope alone won't change your life, but habits will. Hope alone won't change your life. I understand the feeling and the desire to make changes, but that's not enough. Your habits actually have to be impacted. And, and habits, they, they guide you in ways that you don't even think about. I want you to think back two Wednesdays ago. What were you doing two Wednesdays ago in the morning when you first woke up and you were going through your morning routine? Now, I know that you probably, like me, can't even tell me what day of the month two weeks ago Wednesday was, but you can probably say, okay, Wednesday mornings, I have to get up at this time, I do this, 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 and I get out the door on the way to this place that I go to on Wednesdays. You have your habits, all right? Your habits are creating the results that you experience in your life. And I know habits are strong because I've experienced this, particularly, this happens to me on Wednesday mornings a lot. Typically, I go to Wednesday morning men's Bible study that we have. And when I do that, I have to head down to like the Pine Island and Del Prado area. But every other time that I drive south on Del Prado, I pretty much always am turning left onto Diplomat. And that's my normal habit and routine. So you know what happens to me almost every Wednesday morning when I'm not supposed to turn left on Diplomat? I'm driving and all of a sudden I'm in the left lane going that direction. I'm like, that was not my destination. Like you guys know the sense. You've been driving somewhere that you commonly drive. You've been driving for 25 minutes and it's like you wake up and you're like, how did I just get here? Like my mind, like this does not feel safe. Like it was just my habits and my routine. And so it is in so much of your life that you're like, this is the rhythm that I'm set in and the things that I do. And it can work beautifully for you if you have rhythms and habits that you've intentionally set up, or it can be completely destructive for you if you have habits that you've fallen into by accident. And we're called to live a godly life, and so godly habits will lead us to a godly life. And that's what we're really going to get into today. And just one more note before we get into our main passage of the day. Over 40% of the actions you do daily are not the result of decisions, but the results of habits. Almost half of everything that you do, and, and studies have shown this, is just related to you repeating past behaviors. And so if we're not giving strong contemplation to the way that our day runs, then we're, we're wasting almost half of our day. And so th this is the passage that I want us to, to dive into today in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And we'll put this up on the screen. It says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Now, I want to start with a recognition that despite what your body tells you, physical training is good. 
all right? Despite how you feel after you go to the gym, physical training is good for you. And, and we know that. Like when we get into a healthy rhythm, when we've had those times where we go to the gym for 30 or 60 days straight and we start to feel good, we look in the mirror and we're like, yeah. You, know, you remember back in the day when you're like, there's a six pack there instead of like a belly there. My wife hates when I do that. Physical training is good and we know it's good because we can see the results in the mirror when, when it's working. Physical training is good and we know it's good because we can feel differently. We can lift differently. We can reach down the floor and pick up our kid without being like, oh, like we know that there's results from physical training and it is good and scripture calls you to take great care of your body. Physical training is good for your mental state and in fact, physical training is good for your spiritual state because discipline flows into every area of your life. And if you increase discipline in any area, it will spill over into other things. A strange thing, a dentist will will tell you this trend that they see, that if someone loses a bunch of weight, all of a sudden they start taking better care of their teeth. And people who are in good shape, they also tend to, to have a leaning to, I wanna get my spiritual life and my finances in order as well. It bleeds from any area. You get your finances lined up, you'll, you'll find that discipline spills into other areas. And, and, it, and there's a gravity to discipline. And so physical training is good because it does things for you physically, emotionally, psych- psychologically, and then also gives you strength to flow over into the spiritual areas. It's a great place to start. If you wanna get disciplined, aim in that. Physical training is good, but listen to this, and this is important. Physical training, we can see the results really clearly and it's good, but training for godliness is much better. And this is a difficult concept to grab a hold of because when we train in godliness, we, can't, we don't have a spiritual mirror that we can look in and be like, dude, those biceps are rocking on your faith. Like, like you look better, like you've trimmed the spiritual, like we don't see it as much, but I do wanna tell you this, other people can see it pretty clearly. Your spouse can see it pretty clearly when you're spiritually doing well. Your children can see it pretty clearly when spiritually you're doing well. Your coworkers will see it clearly when there's something different about you. There's a different light. There's a different salt. There's a different attitude. There's a different joy in you. Other people can see it and you can't always see it as clearly. But I will tell you, if you let it work for a while, there will be a peace that surpasses understanding that that is pushing out the anxiety and the fear. Like like physical results from training, that is good, but spiritual results from training, it's even better. But there is not an accidental word in scripture. And I wanna make sure you catch the way that it describes the way that we should be growing spiritually. But it says, but training for godliness is much better. Training work, sweat. Like if you've ever gone into a gym where you have a trainer who tells you what you have to lift and how much, and they make you do stretches that make you feel awkward and uncomfortable. You're like, I don't want people seeing me doing the stretch. And they make you do the thigh machine where you're going like this. Like, like trainers will have you do things that make you uncomfortable because they want to make you stronger. We understand training physically. If someone is training us, they might give us a diet plan and say, this is what you can eat. You can't eat these other things. And you're like, I love these other things. Those other things are bad for you. You're you're done with them now because you're getting healthy. And we understand that aspect of physical training, but we want spiritual training to be comfy like a lazy boy, like a candy bar, like a large pizza. We like, I'll compare it to this. Like I love the moments where I wasn't planning it, but like, you know, 
my, my romantic relationship with my wife, like we're just walking by each other in the kitchen and the right song is on. And so I grab her by the hand and I pull her in close and we just, we dance in the kitchen for a moment and we get caught up and we kiss and my kids hate when I talk about this stuff in service, but I don't care. Like I love the, the times where you just emotionally get swept up into romance. But I also recognize that there are times where I need to plan a date. I don't feel like planning a date, but I need to plan a date with my wife. I understand there's times where I need to schedule an appointment with my wife where we go over the kid's schedule, where I understand that there's times where I need to do chores around the house that I don't want to do because I want that relationship with my wife to be right. A relationship with a spouse is very dynamic. It's not just a one thing. And there's times where emotionally you just get swept up and there's times where you have to choose to engage emotionally. And we get that in relationships, but spiritually we're like, I'll serve and I'll give and I'll interact with God when I just emotionally get swept up into it. And I wanna tell you, it's not always gonna feel like that. And in fact, when you're living for God and you're training yourself for godliness, there's gonna be times where you're like, I don't feel like praying. I am angry at them, I am angry at God, and I don't feel like it. Those are the times that you need to pray the most. I don't have the energy to serve today. I don't have the energy to care about other people, I'm just gonna care about myself. One of the best things that you can do for yourself is to pour yourself out for other people. and training for godliness. You should see it and compare it in your mind, training for a triathlon, training for weightlifting, training for work that, that you know it's beyond what you can do right now. And so it, it requires incremental steps of getting better and exerting myself. And, and see it clearly, bring the passage back up for me. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. I want to call you into it. I want to invite you into it. You have, habit, you have habits that are guiding the way that you live your life. You have habits that are guiding the way that you spend your mornings and you spend your evenings. You have habits that are making that decision and maybe you haven't thought about them for a long time. I want you to give consideration to it because if we're going to train for godliness, we have to retrain our habits. There are things that will need to change. And why do they need to change? Because when we make these changes, it promises benefits in this life and in the next is what it says. Benefits in, life, in this life. This is an interesting concept and it might be hard to accept, but I'd be happy to have some further conversations and I'll probably hit the, on this more in some, some other sermons. I can't dive too deep on this concept, but there are benefits in this life to training yourself for godliness. And search this out in scripture. And I'll, I'll defend this. I believe that God answers some prayers of people who have been on a wayward path for five years and they've been just digging a hole for themselves and trying to dig themselves out of it. And then they reach a bottom point where they finally pray and ask God to rescue and he'll do something for their life. But when someone walks in faithfulness for a long period of time, when they live by the precepts and, and teachings of scripture, when, when they are sowing and reaping in their life, God moves in their life in a different way from someone who's been off on their path the whole time. And we'll dive a little bit more into that later, but I wanna show you just from Daniel chapter six. Daniel's a great example of this. Um, in, in 600 and, 
5 BC, Daniel was taken from his home in Israel. Uh, They were defeated by Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar brought him into his court and was training him to serve in his palace. And he was a wicked pagan king. And Daniel was following God and being disciplined in his habits and, and he was praying regularly and God was just raising him up and it made all of the other officials in the court incredibly jealous. In fact, Daniel chapter six said that they were searching for reasons to bring an accusation against him. And can I just stop there for a moment and say, if you're ever looking at someone's life and searching for reasons to drag them down, there's something going on in your heart. Just consider that a warning sign for yourself. If you're ever like looking and hoping for someone to fail, that's not a good place to be. But Daniel was living such a life that when other people looked at him, they couldn't find fault. And in fact, in verse five, it says that, so, so they concluded these officials who were looking to find fault, that our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. I mean, that, that's the type of integrity that he walked in. It's like, the only way that we can trap him is if we look at things about his religion and then trap him with that. And so they went to the king and they said, said king, we, we think that you're so great and wonderful that everyone should only worship you and pray to you for the next week. And if anyone breaks that rule, they should be put to death. And so the king allowed himself to be puffed up and said, okay. And then the law was put into place. And this was Daniel's response to hearing that there was a law that was put in place that would force him to not worship God, but to worship the king, to worship a man. It's in verse 10, and you can put this up on the screen. It says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. With its windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Now listen to me. God God will work through a rescue me prayer, but when someone has been serving and praying faithfully, God answers those prayers, I believe, differently. And we all know the story. Daniel was, was, lit, was thrown in the lion's den and God showed up with angels and held shut the mouths of the lions and protected Daniel that night. And we talk a lot about that story, but we don't talk about what led up to that story, the type of obedience, the type of prayer life that put him in a situation that when everything else was going wrong in the culture, when everything else was going wrong with his job, when everything else was going on with the safety of his life, when it was all in jeopardy, there was already a foundation that was built in his life. And and church, I wanna tell you, scripture teaches that there is benefit for training your life in godliness now here on earth. There are benefits and blessings and peace that you will have. There will be answers to prayer that you have as you walk in obedience to God right now as you live your life. And and that's a great reason for saying, okay, I'm going to prioritize the way I live my life for God. And and this is, I said this to you guys before, but this is this concept and put this up on the screen. It says, God will do the big things like they are small things. If we will do the small things like they are big things. Daniel prioritized, like, I'm going to, I'm going to go and pray no matter what my society tells me. I'm going to pour my heart out to God. I'm going to ask him to meet my needs. No matter what society tells me, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be committed to that. And Daniel did those small things like they were incredibly important. He did the small habits that can often feel like, you know, God, are you there? Are you hearing my prayers? You can't see it in the mirror. You can't see the daily change. 
but he understood the importance of having a foundation of prayer for his life. And so God did the huge things because he did the small things. There's benefits to this life when we put our habits in a way that it trains us up in godliness. There's benefits in heaven as well. That's what the passage says in Timothy. It says there's benefits in the life to come. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 19. He said, don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven, but store up for yourself, or don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. This is an interesting concept. I mean, this, this really deserves its own series, but I'm gonna just take you through a few of the passages that talk about treasures in heaven. Uh, there, throughout the New Testament, the Apostle Paul especially writes about different crowns that will be given to believers in heaven. And this just blows my mind that God is going to look at us as needy as we are. I, I mean, we have no righteousness of our own. It is all a gift through Christ, but he's gonna look at our effort and our investment and the way that we lived our life. And when we stand before him one day, he's gonna give out crowns for, for, for different ways that you invested your life. Um, I'm gonna give you a quick description. You have to be a note taker if you really wanna read these because I don't have time to read the entire passage for each one. But 1 Corinthians chapter nine, verse 24 through 27 describes the crown of victory. And that's where Paul is using the illustration of running a race, that you have to run the race like you're trying to win it. You have to exert yourself. Like this is the way that the Christian life should be lived. Like there's a finish line that you are moving towards and you understand that you have to give everything to win. And he describes the crown of victory that will be given to people who live their life that way. That there's a crown of joy that's described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. It's also described in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. And, and that is for, it's the crown of joy for those that you invest in and they spiritually grow. That God is going to reward your life that when you are praying for, speaking scripture to, studying with, having fellowship with someone, caring for your neighbor, and they spiritually grow. God actually says in heaven, he's going to reward that with the crown of joy. The crown of life is going to be given to those who persevere in trial. And, and the crown of life is described in James chapter 1, verse 12, as well as Revelations chapter 2, verse 10. And it says this crown of life, that when you go through difficulties and trial and loss for the sake of the kingdom, that that is going to be celebrated in heaven. The crown of righteousness is described in 2 Timothy 4, 8. And this is like for people who understood, we're living on the clock. Like we have to live with urgency. We have to, we have to get the gospel out. We, ha we have to move towards our neighbors, move towards our community. We have to make a difference in missions. The people who live with a sense of urgency will receive the crown of righteousness. The crown of glory is described in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. And that's for those who serve within the church and care for other people and care for the flock of God well. They'll be given the crown of glory. And Revelations chapter 4 describes the scene where when we're standing before Jesus, I understand the compulsion. It's like we want the crowns because we want to honor God. But what they do is they take the crowns and they cast them at the feet of Jesus because no one even wants any honor other than the honor of bringing glory to Christ. And, and there's this picture of heaven that these rewards that God gives us, we won't even care about the rewards because all we care about is honoring him. And there are going to be rewards in heaven for those who live their life in a way that honors Christ. And your habits are guiding your step. They're spending your minutes. And so the practicality of if we want to live a life that is trained up in godliness and we want to live a life where there will be rewards in heaven, we have to stop and we have to look at the way that we're spending our day and allowing our habits to guide us. And so here, here's the practical part. I, I want to look and I want to say, okay, what are the ways that we can make changes to our habits that we can honor Christ? And so the, the, here's three things that you can do. Number one, if you understand, okay, I need to pray more, or I need to read scripture more. 
Number one, make it obvious. I'm all about keep it simple and to, to smart, start small and start smart. Make it obvious if you're trying to change a habit. If you're saying, okay, I need to read my Bible before I scroll through social media in the morning, here's what you do. When you plug in your phone at night and you set your alarm, you take your Bible and you set it right on top of your phone. So when that alarm starts screaming in the morning, you got to grab the Bible off the top of it, hit stop, and the Bible's already in your hand. And so before you do anything else, read scripture before you start your day. If you'd say to yourself, before I go to sleep at night, I need to pray. Then when you get up in the morning, make it obvious for yourself. Take your pillow and stuff it under your bed. So that when you want to go to bed at night, you have to get down on the floor to grab that pillow. You may as well pray while you're down there. Make it obvious, like you have to create an interruption to the normal pattern. I understand when we wake up, we grab our phone, we turn off our alarm, we, we either, or maybe we hit snooze. Like we have to create interruptions. If you're, if you're a serial snoozer and you want to change that, put your, plug your phone in across the room. Like make it obvious, create an interruption. I loved this one. Uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle was talking about this in his book. He made a decision he wants to pray with his wife every morning before he leaves his house. I'm going to test this one out for myself. And so what he started doing is he started leaving his keys on his wife's nightstand. So as busy as he is, before he could leave, he would have to go over there right next to her and he would know, I've got to stop and pray with her before I leave. Make it obvious. Look, if it's stop snacking, throw a padlock on the fridge if you have to. Make it obvious. Create an interruption. Create an interruption to the way that you're operating so that you can begin to form new habits. This is what our life looks like. It says, over 40% of what you do daily are not the results of decisions, but the results of habits. And so if we want to honor God in the way that we're living, we have to change the way that we live because we get into this loop. Go ahead and go to the loop for me. So we will experience a cue in our life that says, okay, I want to, I want to check my social media. And we have a craving because there's a notification on our phone that someone is thinking about you, talking about you, something about you. And so we want to find out what it is that people are talking about. So the response is to, you know, begin the, the doom loop of scrolling and the reward is the dopamine burst uh, of seeing it happen. And so this is, uh, with all kinds of addictions and habits, this is the cycle that you go through. And so this is what we want to do. There's a cue and there's a craving. We want to inject a new response to the craving. A great rule for many of you guys would be, if I'm going to check a notification on social media, I need to pray first. And you just interject and say, okay, I have a cue and I have a craving, but my response, instead of going straight to the notification, before I'm allowed to, to scroll on social media, I need to spend a minute praying. A minute praying, well, that seems pretty shallow, Paul. Well, listen, this is what I found. If you'll spend a minute talking to God, you're going to find peace and joy in his presence, and you're going to accidentally pray for two or three minutes. And as that becomes habit for you, you'll find yourself lost into maybe five, maybe 10. And the second, so make it obvious is one part of changing your habits, but make it easy, that's the second part. If you're trying to introduce a new habit, let it grow into what it needs to do, but make it easy at the start of saying, when I pray, I'm just going to thank God for three things, and I'll start there. I'll make it easy that if you're saying, I need to get in shape and I can't barely do anything in the gym yet, start with two push-ups a day. Make it easy. You're like Two push-ups a day doesn't seem like it'll make a difference. It'll make a difference to your ego because your ego can't handle the fact of only doing two push-ups, so you'll find yourself doing five or ten. 
but your psychology will say, I, I have time to do two push-ups. I don't have time to do 50, but I have time to do two. Start small, make it easy. So if we make it obvious and we make it easy, then that'll get rid of the psychological excuses of I can't do it. If you say, okay, I don't have time to study scripture the way that I really should, start by listening to scripture when you drive. Start somewhere, but stop living in the lie that I have to do it perfectly at the beginning. And so th- this, is, this is your homework with this. You, you need to identify, okay, here's how I can make it obvious. Here's how, how I can make it easy. And just write this statement to yourself this week. I will do blank after I blank. That if you know the habit, you know the habit that needs to change. If you're saying, I will check Facebook after I pray for one minute. I will get to rest at home after I do two chores around the house. I will start my day after I've spent time in prayer with God. You know the point of need in your life. You know the habit that needs to be adjusted. But you need to actually put it down and say, this is the way that it's going to work out. And number three, nice and simple, make it happen. You've got to do it. It's going to make a difference in your life here on earth. It's going to make a difference in heaven one day. You have to. When God speaks, we have to follow him with obedience. Scripture is filled with warning after warning. The the parable of the talents is a great one. God does not appreciate idleness in our life. He wants to see you go. He wants to see you try, even if you fail. He wants to see you get after it. Make it happen. Take the step that he is asking you to take. Change the habit that he's telling you to change. Band, if you guys want to come up, I'm going to begin to, to wrap this up. Daniel is a great example There might be consequences in society if I make time for prayer. Do it anyway, make it happen. Time after time in the Gospels, in Jesus' life and ministry, there would be so many people who wanted healing, so many people who wanted to hear him teach, and he would ditch them all and go to a quiet, private place and pray to his heavenly Father. Make it happen. Sometimes things will have to be left undone so that your spiritual life won't come undone. And we need to prioritize training, difficult training in our spiritual lives so that we can experience all the things that God wants to have. And there will be a sense that you have of, you know, what difference is this making? This is, this is an interesting thing. I, I, I watched a video about this online. I enjoyed talking with my kids about it because it's something I'd never even thought about. Um, and I apologize. We're going to get dorky here for a second as I wrap this up. But do you know what trees are made out of? I think that in my head, I was like, well, the roots suck up nutrients. I mean, the roots aren't like grabbing little furry animals and eating them, and like they're not growing branches out of that. Like, so it's probably sucking up nutrients, and that's how trees grow. And I found out I was completely wrong about that. I mean, we remember photosynthesis that trees, you know, process sunlight and it makes energy from that. But we also know that trees kind of breathe in carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen. And the reason they breathe out oxygen is because they do something with the carbon. Trees are physically made of air. Their matter, and you can go fact check me on this later, their matter, their branches, their bark are made out of the carbon that they take from the air. A redwood sequoia tree that is 400 feet tall, 100 feet wide, 
has roots that span over 100 feet wide as well. 2.7 million pounds. It's all made out of air. And I love the illustration of it because a tree grows so slowly and what it's made out of is what you really can't even see. But day after day, minute after minute, air molecule by air molecule, it builds itself into something that is so big that they cut holes in the redwoods and drove trees or drove cars through the trees. Your spiritual life is made out of moments that you can't really grab a hold of. It's, it's made out of things that you can't really show someone else. These times of study in scripture, these times of prayer, these times of serving in secret, these times of giving in secret, they're made out of these things that you can't see, but it builds up something that is huge and powerful within you. And almost like a tree is built on air, your spiritual life is made out of moments where you decide to prioritize the training and godliness. And if there's a habit that you wanna break, there is spiritual power. Christ has paid it all for you. It all was completed on the cross, but it is worked out in your life in a way where you decide, I'm gonna die to self daily. I'm gonna interrupt these habits and I'm gonna train godliness in a way that will make my life look differently. But it's gonna require you to, to actually do the practice and say, this habit, this loop that I've been in, it requires change. And it requires the faith in you to say, if I do something different, it's gonna produce results in this life. It's gonna produce re results in this relationship. It's gonna produce results in my future. So the church, the challenge is this. Identify a habit that you should focus on. Maybe it's prayer, maybe it's study of scripture, may, maybe it's the way that you treat your neighbor or the way that you treat someone in your household. Identify what needs to change and identify the way that you're going to change it and make it happen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the way that you open up doors for us even when we feel like it's been too late. I thank you for the way that you will work in something that seems so invisible, but it will create something so substantial. And for anyone here who's been struggling with making a change or getting out of an addiction or correcting a relationship, and they know that they need to do something, would you just impressed by your spirit that you are with them right now, that you will empower them right now and that you will guide them as they take the steps of obedience that you've called them to take, as they train themselves up in godliness. And as we set a pattern of following you, we know that you will show up with blessing and strength day after day. Will you give us the courage to take the step that we need to take today? In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this next song, if, if God's stirring something up in your life, if there's a need or a concern or a worry, or if you know that there's an addiction that you need to break or a change you need to make, that you need to talk with someone else about it, we would love to pray with you. And even as the band plays today, our prayer team will be here, I'll be over here, and we would love to lift your concern with God. But just mark my words on this. If you sense God calling you to take a step, don't pass the moment by. He will meet you there. So respond to him as he leads. Church, as you're able, will you stand with us as we sing?